Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm Adriana. And welcome to our episode on freedom. I think freedom, especially since the start of the pandemic, has really been in the air. Questions about what is freedom? How can we get freedom back when faced with restrictions or limitations? and the place of freedom in the hierarchy of values uh, in our culture and in our communities. So I think this is an important topic, and I'm looking forward to exploring it with you today. Yeah, and as we've talked about between ourselves, Father Drusani, the founder of Communion and Liberation, is almost kind of like a patron saint for freedom, if you will. Mm. So we're excited to just really bring him and his wisdom into the conversation. And incredibly prescient, too, because, you know, he was speaking and writing about freedom in the 1960s, the 50s even, in a way that I think foresaw a lot of the cultural and social movement that would follow in the decades after. Yeah, so a prophet as well as a patron saint of freedom. Yeah, and in that sense, I mean, you can see freedom is at the heart of the human person. And yeah, it's as much a supreme value now as it was then. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, when I think of freedom, I'm constantly brought back to two pivotal moments in the history of the United States. And the first, of course, would be our founding and this huge movement for freedom from foreign powers and rule that did not come from within the people. And then the second is the civil rights movement. And I was actually pre-gaming for the podcast by listening to um, some of the anthems of the civil rights movement, these Mm. beautiful hymns and songs about freedom from the heart of a people who were groaning under centuries of oppression. Yeah, so I think it's understandable that, especially in the United States, there is such a high value placed on freedom. It is celebrated and espoused in a way that I think might be unique among among the nations, at least of the Western world that I'm familiar with. Yeah, I think perhaps because it's become a supreme value, it's lost clear definition in mm. Western culture, and I think that'll be helpful to discuss yeah, definitely. It's it's become hazy, and therefore, I think a lot of the conflict over questions of freedom come from disparate definitions that people are operating with. Mm-hmm. And that's so rarely made explicit in the public sphere, or even, I don't know, in, in conflicts within the family and things. What is freedom? We all value it. We all need it. It's inherent to who we are, but, but what is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think... We've come to reduce freedom to an idea of freedom from, freedom from oppression, freedom from tyranny, Mm. and have lost any sort of tangible understanding of, well, what's freedom for? What do we do with it once we have it, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah. Would you unpack that a little bit? Because I guess the objection might be that, well, in order to use freedom for what it's for, it's predicated on this negative freedom of I need people to get out of my way so I can just choose exactly what I want. And that's what freedom's for. So what, what do you mean by this positive sense of freedom? How is that How is that different? Yeah, if freedom is only having infinite choices, it seems limited because there's no actual objective value. It remains in the subjective realm for me to choose. And it's between this and that. And there's no moral weight on anything I might choose to further tyrannize others or to treat others well. I might, it seems so arbitrary that there's no objectivity. And 
I like Surveys Pinkers. He's a moral ethicist that I studied in university, and he would use a definition called freedom for excellence. Yeah. That freedom enables you to choose the good and helps the good become more and more attractive to you. Mm, mm. And in experience, even in the smallest ways, uh, we can think of practicing patience. The more and more you practice patience, the more attractive patience becomes. And we're better and more equipped to answer patiently in the future. Yeah. Versus out of our innate kind of response or emotive reactions. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful example. And um, in understanding this positive sense of freedom, I love that line, freedom for excellence, right? Freedom for excellence. I think the turn to experience is really the right one to make because it's easy to talk about this on a theoretical level and remain far from the day-to-day experiences of freedom and slavery. And I think by bridging that divide and really looking at ourselves in action, we can better understand the limitations of this reduced notion of freedom that just makes it about freedom from intervention and control and oppression. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded by a line by Ratzinger that the ill-defined concept of freedom inevitably entails contradictions. I think that's really helpful because it's like, okay, where in my life does my pursuit of an instinctive or limited form of freedom actually bind me up, like actually lead me to less freedom? And I think by diagnosing that, because these are experiences that are just immediately palpable to anyone on the street, right? A sensation of a loss of freedom. And I think by looking at that, we can better understand then this this moral excellence, this freedom for excellence that you're talking about. Yeah, I love starting with our experience. And it reminds me of the first and only time I've met Father Caron, the current leader of the Communion Liberation Movement. Um, we had a question and answer after his talk at Notre Dame. And uh, an undergrad student, she asked, how do I know what to do with my life? Mm. And he asked her, when do you feel the most free? And she actually wasn't able to answer, but I loved that he responded to her with that question. And it stayed with me. Yeah. When do you feel the most free? But the question itself, too, I think sometimes there can be a misunderstood critique of CL that it's a total conflation to experience and that any experience is valid, but there's an educative experience. Yes. Um, that CL invites. Yes. To your point about patience, for example. It's not just that your subjective instinct is given free reign to dominate. Your experience is made true to who you are and what your heart desires through following the education that another gives you, following the example of someone who is more patient, Mm -hmm. following a community who greets you with mercy and guides you on this path to becoming a more morally excellent human being. So I, I totally agree. It starts with desire and always from experience, but uh, never in a sort of subjective relativism. Yeah. And that's what I love about Father Giussani is he risked so much on his understanding and firm belief in the goodness of the human hearts and the goodness of our innate desires that have, of course, been broken and fractured by sin, but that are still there and that we should 
also trust those desires and turn to them as sources for guidance and sources for God in us. Yeah. In that spirit, how would you answer this question of Father Caron of when do you feel most free? Or even in the negative sense, like when do you not feel free? Where are these places in your life that you note a reduction of freedom? Well, first, when do I feel most free? I was very helped by, again, Father Caron discussing Augustine, Mm. um, who famously said, my heart is restless until it rests in thee, O Lord. Mm -hmm. And he says, Augustine has a true criterion, that restlessness. And from that restlessness, he can perceive truth. He knows freedom because he can rest. Mm. And that's his experience. And in my own experience, I think that's when I feel the most free, when I can rest in what I both know and firmly believe is true, and it's observable in the action of my life. And that's challenging. Of course, I I think I've made incredibly free choices in in permanent vocation, in marriage, and welcoming children, but that limits freedom to these grandiose moments, and it's as much at play in every single decision in how I respond to my toddler's tantrums in the exact moment, and am I free to respond to that with gentleness and patience, or do I see myself, which I often do, responding out of the exact opposite? Yeah. And being able to look back on those moments in an examination of my own conscience and see, again, I fell into a sort of bondage of my own sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that my own weakness, that I'm actually unable to free myself in those moments, as much as I kind of try to muscle through it, which I think is my common temptation. Yeah. But what about you, Sophia? Well, I'd probably start with the negative. I think I spent a great deal of my life in places of slavery. And the experience of that is obviously still something that I experience daily now, but is something just iconic for me. Like I can, I know what it feels like. You're you have kind of a paralysis in terms of how you respond to decisions you have to make and even the own desires of your heart. There's kind of this sense of nothing can answer this, so why even try? Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, a depressive apathy of withdrawing from life and a disconnect from the people around you for precisely that reason. There's no way to bridge this gap. Yeah, exactly what you're saying when you're faced with your choices and also the longing of your heart, I think we're not helped anymore by the culture because it promotes the lie that freedom is infinite choices. Yeah. And when we recognize that contradiction that, no, my heart isn't actually feeling free, even though I have a million choices and I can't, I can't make one of them. Yeah. Um, we can perpetuate that because if all we're given is the secular culture, We just sort of end up paralyzed in front of infinite possibilities, whether they even be real or abstract. Yes. In simple things, like you were talking about on the day-to-day, but then also these bigger things like choosing a major in college, right? Exactly what I was thinking of. There are like hundreds of majors at Notre Dame. Why did I choose neuroscience? I didn't experience paralysis because I felt that I was called to that. You know, I I felt that there was a 
something distinctive for me, a task given to me that required that I choose this. And so, of course, I was free. I could have said no to it. But my true freedom was in saying, yes, okay, Lord, like, let's see why I feel called to this. Let's follow and see what comes from it. Whereas I, you know, had a lot of friends who bounced between majors and and struggled with sort of a sense of dissatisfaction. And that can come about for any number of reasons. But I think one of the contributing factors is really the huge leeway that American universities give to their students to choose whatever they want in whatever combination and to change at any time, which is so different from European universities, um, where you actually have to apply going in to a specific major and you're not allowed to change. Mm. So that for me is a really clear example of how to come out of this paralysis and apathy that I was talking about, I need to hear and respond to the invitation of someone else. Yes, and of course, this brings us to the Trinity. I mean, who makes... It struck me so much in preparing for this episode how much God makes himself known to us through an invitation to freedom. Yeah. Whether it's in the Old Testament, God making himself known to the Israelites through leading them out of Egypt literally in bondage to the Egyptians, to Jesus in the New Testament fulfilling that. And in Galatians 5, St. Paul says, it is for freedom that you have been set free. Mm, I love that line. Yeah. That God is at the very heart of freedom. I mean, he's given us this gift as his own image and likeness. Yeah. And it's not to take away our freedom or limit or bring us back into slavery. Jesus says, you know, I haven't called you servants. I've called you friends. Yeah. And what a glorious vocation. Like if we're thinking about freedom on a human level, the experience of it is just one of the greatest and sweetest and most totalizing experiences that anyone can have. There's this sense of like, oh my gosh, this is what my heart is made for, and I can experience it. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the feeling of summiting the mountain and seeing the vista that you've just worked for. It's the experience of saying I do to your loved one and knowing that you and he are one forever. Like, this is what we're made for. And it's true. The whole mystery of salvation is this invitation to freedom. One of the paradoxes in this, though, is exactly in that line from St. Paul, for freedom, you have been set free. Like, what does that mean? We were set free in baptism, but there are days where I sure as hell don't feel free, right? So so what is that dynamic of the Christian life? Like, day to day, what does it look like through the church and through scripture and the sacraments? What does it look like to, on the foundation of the freedom from original sin that baptism has given us, what does it look like to build a house on rock, a house where I am free to be the woman that God has created me to be, where the joy comes from and the fulfillment and and the love of others. So what are, yeah, what are the essential elements for you in that journey of building on your baptism? I think for a very long time, because I had such a misunderstood notion of freedom, that when I really came into trying to live as a disciple, I became so distrustful of my own freedom and my own desires in my heart. I was afraid of them, Mm. and I was afraid that Mm. they would certainly lead me astray in the way that they'd had in the past because I responded to my own instincts and to the way of the culture. Yeah. So that I looked for almost signposts in the sky or 
yeah, just active direction of like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I need you to send me the Ten Commandments the way you did with Moses. And yeah. <laughs> I'll just follow those. I don't want this freedom anymore. It's too risky. Take it back. Yes. And really coming into a place of healing, like forgiving myself for my own past mistakes and letting those wounds around desire be healed much through Father Jasani because he so encourages us to yeah. to respond and look into those yeah. and pay attention to the desires where I thought I, I should be ignoring these. Yeah. Um, so through really paying attention that what is this desire actually rooted in? It's this desire for a spouse even is rooted in this deeper desire for permanent belonging. Mm-hmm. And that's good and holy and points me to Jesus who wants me to permanently belong to him. And being able, when I met my husband, to trust that finally, that was actually helped tremendously through my own experience in counseling yeah, and recognizing like I could trust this desire and follow it even though it was incredibly risky and the possibility of rejection was before me in a more vulnerable way than if God had had written down in in an etch-a-sketch what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing it. And it reminds me of you know, when I first met you, you were already dating Brian. And the first couple times I was like, dang, they probably known each other for years. And I was shocked when I learned mm-hmm. your story because I had been so struck by really the freedom in your relationship, your ability to be totally yourself. And I didn't see the fear that marked other certain other relationships that were sort of icons of dating in my life at that time. So it's beautiful to hear about what built that in the first place. And of course, now it's flowered in this beautiful free welcome of children and marriage and all of that. So yeah, I really love that example. Something you said about desires, though, reminds me that having unfulfilled desires is one of the places in my life that I can most easily fall back into slavery. Mm -hmm. An unfulfilled desire for whatever it is, some relationship or something in my work or some personal wound of mine to be healed like an unfulfilled desire I so quickly start looking at that and saying until this is answered I can't be free and in in leaving that mentality and returning to my experience and recognizing again as you were saying with uh, Damien throwing tantrums that I am free in this moment that this moment has an infinite depth and density for me is Prayer really um, is being faithful to my holy hour and the other things that I've committed to to regain that horizon and the sacraments, especially when I go with friends or, or I know people there just to see that Christ is present in our midst and he nourishes us with his very body. There is structurally there is nothing more that my heart needs. And yet he gives us so much more besides. And so remembering the abundance with which Christ loves me today, um, even as I'm waiting for Mm -hmm. the realization of more concrete desires that I have. Um, Because as you were saying, if I go to the depths, ultimately my desire is for God. And so being able to experience him here and now is the answer to my freedom. And I can have that no matter how unfulfilled I am in specific places of my life. Um, but that's a, a constant and painful battle battle for me. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing example, Sophia. 
I mean, as we've said, it is for freedom that you've been set free and it's freedom right now. And I so often, perhaps especially in these times here, that we'll get back to freedom after the pandemic or... Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'll experience freedom when I don't have infants anymore. Whatever whatever it is, it's always later. Yeah. And the whole point of being set free is that we're free now. And it's not the circumstance, though not to mitigate authentic pursuits of justice. It's ultimately not the circumstance that makes our hearts free. Yeah. I think we can see these incredible examples. I know you, do you want to talk about Cardinal Van Thuen? Oh my gosh, Cardinal Van Thuen, thank you for mentioning him. Yes, I, okay, so he is really, I attribute to him my experience of the first lockdown here in the UK and the fact that it was a beautiful time and not something that was oppressive and broke me down. Um, For people who aren't familiar with him, he was a Vietnamese cardinal in the 20th century and during the war was imprisoned by the communist regime first in solitary confinement and then in a ordinary jail, I suppose. Um, I think for a total of 13 years. And before this had been the leader of an incredible movement of revival and renewal of his church. Like seminaries were flourishing, programs were flourishing. As shepherd of his flock, you know, he was doing the work of the Lord, right? And so he enters into this time of total separation from his flock, total inability to do anything external to guide them to Christ, and darkness where he had no spiritual accompaniment or any of the resources that he had on the outside to remain faithful to Christ. And so he went through this time of just purification, but ultimately intimacy with the mystery of God, precisely in that pit that they were keeping him in, in deep, beautiful prayer, in interactions with his jailers, one of whom he actually eventually taught the Te Deum in in Latin, and some of whom converted. I mean, just these, these miracles started to happen as soon as he accepted that this is exactly where the Lord had put him. And as you were saying, turned to the present moment and said, Lord, you are here. Show me that you are here. Help me live with you now and let go of any images of what I could be doing for my flock on the outside. Uh, And he's left behind beautiful spiritual testament if you're interested in learning more. But yeah, I'm not doing justice to his story. Please go read about him and read his words because, yeah, I mean, when I read that in the midst of COVID restrictions, my objections dissolved. I was like, if the Lord used him as his instrument and grew a friendship between them, this friendship that you're talking about that we're made for, when he was in solitary confinement, God can do that with me mm-hmm. in this house when I can't leave because of COVID. And so that turned my gaze to the present moment in a way that was so freeing. It was so freeing. Yeah, and it's such a striking example where the world would say that's the total loss of freedom. Yeah. And yet, paradoxically, he was made more free through that experience. Yeah. And I think our question for our listeners is, do you have your own experiences that where where the world has lied to you and yet you've been able to be set free? And can you turn to those moments and look for the fruit there? What was there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful question. And it reminds me of another thing about Cardinal Van Tuan that 
after his release, he kept wearing the pectoral cross that he had fashioned for himself in prison. So the pectoral cross is the cross that bishops wear as a sign of their office. And he had made one out of metal wire and wood um, while he was in jail. And he continued wearing it for the rest of his life. And he would say that it was a proclamation of, quote, the love of Jesus. Wow. So just just mind-blowing. But to your point, like having these icons in mind of times we've experienced freedom in the most reduced circumstances, in the midst of suffering, through the encounter with Christ, that can be something that continually recalls us after those circumstances have changed to the truth and the origin of, of our freedom. Yeah, and I experienced that. Obviously, I've experienced nothing like Cardinal Van Tuan, but in the moments when I'm able to surrender that this is the reality and I have to embrace it, I'm most able to live freely, whether it's in labor for my children where I can surrender to the process of labor or Mm. to an unrealized expectation that I have for the day or an errand that I desired to run that just isn't possible with my children. If I can embrace and surrender to that reality, then I'm able to live freely in a way that I experience I can't when I'm so frustrated by whatever it is I had hoped to accomplish that I'm almost able to not do anything. I'm not able to be present and loving to my children, and I'm also not able to get that task done. So I'm just somewhere in the middle in my own head about it. In slavery, yeah. Those are beautiful examples, and I'm struck that both of them involve impositions of another person on your autonomy. So the first would be bodily autonomy because you have a child within your womb who is coming out and bodily autonomy would say, I can do anything at my disposition to make this mm-hmm. not hurt and not change my body and not you know, put me through this, this trial. And then the second would be the imposition of how you choose to use your time and how you choose to produce and achieve in the world. Um, and I think that both of these places are places where we can verify that Christ does set us free. You know, if you can live labor as an experience of offering and freedom, like you're sorry, you're either insane or you've met <laughs> something truer and more beautiful than than me. You know, when I'm struggling with my whatever, I got the COVID vaccine and my arm hurts. Thank you for using that word verify, because I think that's what we really want to propose to our listeners that verify this truth in your own experience. Yeah. And that's what I love about Father Jasani. He used it so much. I mean, that you can experience the hundredfold that Christ has promised today and now and in this moment, regardless of whatever is happening, whether you're in active labor, like I said, has Christ set you free? Yeah. Yeah, not taking the answer to that for granted. No matter what stage of the encounter with Christ you are, if this is the first time you're praying or seeking after Christ or whether you've been a Christian for 60 years, I mean, we can never take the answer to that question for granted. But precisely this journey of verification that you're talking about is what enables us to build the foundation of certainty that then lets us say yes to the plan that Christ has for us. So I think about you and Brian, like, How did you reach the place where you could say, honestly, and with freedom, 
that you would be faithful to him for, for better, for worse, for the rest of your life until one of you dies, that you are his wife. How could you say that? You, you two had traveled a road together of verifying that this is God's will and that this is for your joy and that God does give you the strength and the love for Brian that makes this an answer to your heart's desires and something that, that can continue for eternity. So verification builds certainty. Yes. And I appreciate too the the re-asking of the question because I think in my own journey now, that becomes more and more difficult. I want to have the question answered. Yeah. And I no longer want to stand in front again as has Christ set me free right now in this moment. Because sometimes I don't let the answer be yes. Yeah. And it also forces us to reckon again with the despair in our world and the despair we've seen in the pandemic, the amount of death, the suffering, and the real possibility of suffering to continue as we come into this second wave and new variants and kind of the weariness of it all. Yeah. To let your heart again be vulnerable to the questions. Definitely. And that's one place that I see that it's in belonging to others, not autonomy. (laughs) That's my freedom. I need people to keep telling me these things. Like the only reason I can say this is because I constantly hear it from others, that my experience today does have value and my suffering does have meaning. And there is an answer to my heart's desires today. If I ask the question, I can find it. You know, I need to hear these things over and over again. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is like, God does take the initiative with our freedom. He bets on our freedom, but he doesn't just say, okay, they're free. They'll find me if they find me. He comes to us Mm -hmm. and in his mercy Mm -hmm. stoops down to us through the companionship that I'm talking about, but other ways as well. And he invites us to belong to him. It's through our freedom that we participate in the Trinity. Again, that St. Augustine quote, God created us without ourselves, but he did not will to save us without ourselves. Mm. I love that quote because it shows so clearly to me that my freedom is not a curse, even when I experience it as a burden or even when I misuse it. My freedom is not a burden. My freedom is a sign of my greatness. Yes, it's for you to participate with God. It's what exactly what enables you to live in to becoming more and more like God, becoming deified. Yeah. Yeah, in the salvation of the world. Like I think about Mary's freedom, for instance, that God waited for her yes, that all of creation waited for her yes. Her behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me. All of creation waited for that yes. And it wasn't just for her joy and her eternal life with God, but for the salvation of the whole world. You know, I'm not called to physically bear Christ in my womb, But each of us is called to bear Christ into the places that we live and the people that we belong to. And yes, and it's not limiting to say for the salvation of the world, like for you, Sophia, for me. That's exactly, I've heard Bishop Barron say, like, what would our society be like if we had another Mother Teresa, if we had another St. Elizabeth Ann Seton? They can seem so far off and we can use holy and set apart as if that means unlike us. But that's precisely what we're called to in our own circumstances. Mm-hmm. Also, what you're saying reminds me of the great responsibility of freedom, because this is for the salvation of the world, that 
Veritatis Splendor, the encyclical by John Paul II, he says, once you've found the truth, that everyone has to be respected on their journey towards freedom. But once you've found the truth, there's such an enormous responsibility to follow it. Everything depends upon it. And yeah, and our proposition is that it's not in slavery that we follow this truth. It's it's for our continued freedom. And that my, you know, the example we've used, my yes to Brian in marriage, the culture would say, I made one choice and, and shouldn't that limit my freedom? Yeah. Now I don't have uh, infinite choices of bachelors. Not that I did before. You <laughs> <but laughs> had plenty. Yep. <laughs> um, I've made one choice, so shouldn't my freedom be limited? But in my actual experience and what Christ has shared with me has proven true that I am more free. Yeah, that's the great, it's a great responsibility. You're right. And, uh, but we're helped along the way by the fact that when we begin to exercise it, we experience here and now a freedom from nothingness, a freedom from sin, a freedom from paralysis that enables us to follow the path that ultimately will lead us to freedom from death, freedom for eternal life. Freedom for our destiny with God. Yeah, I appreciate everything you're saying. And it begins in our desires, but a recognition that my desire is infinite. And if I don't begin in the infinite, I won't ever be set free. More than that, I loved where you started with Benedict. I'll experience a contradiction. I'll experience slavery again. Exactly. And I think that's a good barometer I mean, here, I guess we'd be moving into our weekly challenge. So if there's something else you want to um, include on the episode before we wrap up, please, please stop me. But I think that having this barometer of where in my life am I experiencing the paralysis and boredom and fear of a lack of freedom versus the joy and fulfillment and courage of freedom that this is a really helpful thing to have in our minds as we go about our days. Um, So for our weekly challenge this week, I would invite all of our listeners to take 10 minutes, um, just specify an amount of time, and pray about this, asking the Holy Spirit to illumine in your heart those times in your life where you have been most free, when you felt the most freedom over the course of your life, over the course of the last year, And then over the course of that very day, where have you been most free? Sit and pray with that, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. Yeah, I love that. I think some common themes will come out through that prayer between what has made you free today and what has made you free over the last decade. Historically. Yeah. Yeah, for a media recommendation, one of our favorite films of Gods and Men, which is a true account of French monks in Algeria who were ultimately martyred, yeah. but they knew of their upcoming martyrdom months before that their lives were in imminent danger and that they would be killed if they continued to serve the people in Algeria. And their choice and their struggle with the choice to, to stay. It's such a beautiful film. Thank you for recommending this. I cannot agree more. And I think it it's beautiful because it touches on two things that we didn't talk about in this episode, but that clearly show the freedom that Christ can bring. And one is monastic life and all of the restrictions that come with saying yes to stability and silence and a rhythm of prayer. And the second is martyrdom, saying yes freely to the renunciation of your life, 
it's beautifully done and does not glamorize or gloss over um, how difficult living freedom really is. Yeah, I love what you're saying. There's no greater love than a man who lays down his life for his friends. And to be able to freely pursue that. I mean, as you've already said, it's either Jesus or it's insanity. Yeah, yeah. So that film is available for rent on Amazon and Apple TV for just a couple dollars. And it's incredible. Fantastic. And if you do watch it, let us know. You can send us an email or find us on our show's Instagram page. Even if you don't, you're welcome to write to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. And we'll see you again here next week. Know of our prayers for you in this week of head. And we'll pray especially that you experience the freedom that Christ has given us. Amen. Amen.